ready? Born ready. podcast where the party at i am your host saba long if this is your first time tuning into the pod let me give you a little bit of background this is a non-partisan podcast so we give equal grief to both republicans and democrats and libertarians a little bit green party who all the parties um and we talk about what's happening in atlanta we talk about what's happening in georgia and what's happening across the country, things that you should be paying attention to, sometimes things that we feel like doesn't get enough mainstream media attention, uh, really try like t- try to tailor the pod to folks who are not like uber political, so you are not eating, breathing, and living what's happening in the world of politics. That's who this pod is for, primarily. All right, let's jump in.
how she operates in the 2023 session. To what extent does she engage in the 2024 election? There's a lot of, you know, this is the second person now. Vernon Jones was the first prominent Atlanta area Democrat to switch from Democrat to Republican. And now Misha Maynard. I just hope that uh, I, I I never have a problem when they switch. I only have a problem when they switch the rhetoric. You know, yeah. like I could every reason why she wanted to switch, I totally support, right? But I hope when she gets there, she doesn't turn to Vernon Jones, and it's like, well, you know, basically every uh, what you call Republican bingo, right? You know what I'm saying? You're saying all the talking points, yeah. You know, so. Yeah, I think a lot of people are curious to see what the switch really looks like for her. But if she stays true to course and doesn't capitulate to like any of those Republican talking points and kind of stays, you know, where she needs to be and serves the community. That will be that will be if she does that, she will be be one of the most prominent, I think, electeds in the country. Yeah, because she does that. I can see more black people thinking yeah. the same because there aren't there aren't right now that I can think of black Republicans who are really doing that. Sometimes to some extent, Tim Scott, but it that varies. Yeah, like this will be the first time like you get a chance to kind of set the record. Like, okay, this is what a black Republican could really look like. Right, and this is what it looks like when you switch from Dem to Republican, and you might be surprised. You might see a lot of people like I'm with her. Yeah, we'll see to what who she listens to, right? Is she listening to the, I know CJ Pearson is one of the people I think she's reached out to, who's a young, I think I want to say he's from Alabama, but he, I want to say he did comms for Vernon when he did the switch. So I think it just depends on like within the black Republican realm, who is she aligning with? And within the broader Republican realm, who is she aligning with? I, I would love it if she didn't align uh, with, with anyone any, with, with any black with, with any black Republican because I haven't seen a black Republican yet that she can align with. There might be some other Republicans that she could find that you know that uh horseshoe you right know, some of that coalition some of those people who are like almost kind of like a Brian Kemp right who's not on that MAGA Trump wave right will support some things that you have in your community if you package it the right way. Mm-hmm. If you can get more of those Republicans, it's just, you know, more about economics. And yeah. we can still, you know, be be who we are at the core. It might be a good situation. We'll see. All right, moving on, uh, sort of related. Uh, Fulton County, the Fulton County Board of Commissioners voted for to two in favor of spending $210,000 to fund a reparations study. I know, Keith, this is a big topic you're always paying attention to. Five researchers at the Atlanta University Center will be leading this study, leading the research. One of the county commissioners who represents, uh, who's a Republican, said she thinks studying this would hurt Fulton County, and she said, quote, it will rip us apart. So the, of the four, the obviously the four Democrats voted in favor, and as, as I mentioned, two other Republicans voted against funding the study. 
Now, the county has had a reparations task force since 2021. And folks, OGs of the pod might remember this name, Michael Russell, who ran for city council president, who we interviewed for the Who Runs Atlanta series. He is part of the task force, and he is opposed to reparations. Uh, Mike Russell is African-American, and he's a Republican. He tweeted, this was a while ago, he tweeted, reparations is another excuse for failure. People come here from other cultures with nothing, can't speak the language, and within a generation, surpass the majority of Americans because of their values and work ethic. Stop whining and start working for what you want to achieve. You see, like, that right there. <laughs> That's the black Republican you don't want Misha Maynard to turn into. Yeah. I'm clear. Yeah. yeah. So we'll see. I think they're supposed to be releasing the findings of this study in mid to late 2024. Uh, so stay tuned. To study reparations in Fulton County. Mm-hmm. And I think that's an important thing for people to remember. This is solely focused on issues concerning Fulton County and not the state of Georgia, not the United States. Um, the, the commission is looking at three specific areas where um, there is a potential to pay some sort of reparation. Uh, the first one is slavery. What connection did Fulton County have directly with slavery? If there's anything that the county did that might be uh, considered unjust or illegal. Um, Imminent domain was their properties that the county confiscated illegally or unjustly. And then the third one would be, um, wait a second, the third one is if the county used uh, prison labor from the county confinement facility, illegal or unjustly uh, for labor, maybe, for example, uh, farm them out to a private entity as free labor, and the, the prisoners were not compensated for that. So those are the three areas that uh, that we are focused on. No, I think it's connected. Um, there are some members of the panel, there are some folks who petitioned the county for this to happen. So this is not isolated. What you hear him talking about there is when he says it's it's connected or not connected is this is happening across the country where you're seeing because the federal government is not taking a stance on this, cities and counties and states are saying, okay, to what extent can we explore reparations in our community? And that's what he's talking about. Um, Dr. Karshik Sims Alvarado is one of the lead researchers uh, who's part of this and she's on this reparations study committee so i will see uh, this task force i'll see if maybe we can get her on the pod uh, to talk about you know what has happened over the past two years of the task force and what they're you know how they're approaching their research perhaps that might be an interesting episode All right, moving on, Uh, something that's Georgia-related, but it's also impacting a bunch of other states, just something to pay attention to, and why it's important to vote all the way up and down the ballot. Just a reminder for folks, 18 Republican attorneys general have signed on to a letter from Mississippi's attorney general 
asking for access to info on residents of their states who sought out abortion care in other states. One of those attorneys general is Chris Carr, Georgia's attorney general. He signed on to this letter. So after Roe v. Wade, the Dobbs decision was struck down, the United States Department of Health and Human Services proposed a new rule that basically used HIPAA as a way to protect health info for folks seeking abortions. But these Republican states are suing the, they're talking at least about suing the federal government to block the rule, and they're saying it's not constitutional. And by the way, this won't just apply to abortion. They want this also to apply to transgender medical care. It's one of those things where I'm like, you know, there's like, what's the line between I don't believe in abortion, I don't believe you should have access to an abortion, to I'm going to track down to see if you are having an abortion. That's crazy. What happened to America where everybody kind of just minds their own business? Mind their business. <laughs> like you just <laughs> like yeah. I you know, you come here and then it's like, okay, whatever you want to do in your community, as long as you're not illegal or hurting anybody right. else with it, you're cool. Right. I just don't understand. Yeah. This, this. Is, this seems it's... antithetical to Republican like Dad. Republican ideology of like less government. Less government. It's like so much government. It's, yeah. so, it's crazy. Yeah. So we don't know yet what's going to happen with it, but I am just wanted to mention it because it includes Georgia, and it's just something that we should be watching out for to see what, what happens. Relatedly, on some national press and some polling, the Associated Press has uh, issued a new poll about how Americans feel about our democracy. The gist is mm, not good. Uh, 49% of those surveyed say democracy is not working well in the United States, compared to just 10% of people who say it is working very well or extremely well. 53% of Americans say views of people like me are not represented well by the government. More than half. And then 71% say that the law should reflect what people want, which is exactly what we just talked about related to abortion and attorneys general, but only 40, 48% say that that's actually what happens, that the law actually reflects what people want. And then what's interesting is they were asked, should the law reflect what's in the Constitution versus should the law reflect what people want and what people want just slightly edged out the Constitution. I mean, even if you deal with some of the constitutions, still would be kind of right, you know? Yeah. They just don't enforce it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then this whole, you know, this whole thing about is the constitution this infallible document compared to, you know, most people think of the constitution as um, more, like cannot be altered. And they're more willing to alter their views of like the Bible, right? Like, Stoning was the norm in that day and time and in the Bible, and this was a just punishment. We don't stone people anymore, right? But what was in the what's in the Constitution is seen as beyond biblical, like it is etched in stone. 
And I feel like it was like that because even biblically, you can like, the times will change that, right? With the Constitution, you can add amendments, you know. But you can, we haven't, can, yeah, but we haven't breathe, done that. Yeah, it could breathe and grow. That's right. That's us. It's supposed to be that. a living document. Yeah, that's us not doing that. Like, that's you know, right. That's, that's just the, yeah, the matrix of where we at. Yeah. I mean, the, the ability to amend the Constitution today, I can't. I think it would be well now. I'd be scared. Nearly difficult, right? Yeah, like what would y'all put in it? You know, like <laughs> right. Now don't like, open don't the know. box. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Mm. That's another pod for another day. Now it seems like the only thing they do is sue the government Correct. to stop progress until we can get reelected to say that we stopped progress, but we're not running for re-election to show that we did anything, Accurate. but stop people. Yes. This, this is crazy. This is the state Dang. of politics right now. So speaking of, a nice little tee up to what's next. Uh, Tucker Carlson may not be on Fox News anymore, but he is most certainly relevant. So Tucker Carlson partnered with Blaze Media, which is co-founded by another Fox political, former political stu- superstar, Glenn Beck, uh, and they hosted a forum in Iowa, which is one of the is it the first state or the second state? I think it's the first state uh, where he interviewed the major candidates running for the Republican nomination, with the exception of Donald Trump. Trump did not attend, did not participate. Um, and then after Tucker Carlson interviewed them, Glenn Beck did a post interview talk with them. Quite interesting. We're going to highlight a few of these, not everybody, but a few of them. Uh First up is Tim Scott, and I want you to listen to this exchange. Glenn Beck talks to Tim Scott, a senator from South Carolina, and he talks about the impact of his run and the fact that Tim Scott is coming from the southern state. Take a listen. Hometown. Okay. Do you ever think about how far we have come that the state that was centerpiece at the beginning that has caused all of these problems and then started the civil war, you are now a beloved Senator of that same state. I'm not sure there's a day that goes by that. I don't think about that. Think about my journey in life. I'm an African American, as you can tell. I I just, (laughs) I didn't notice. I just say black. Wait, am I a racist because I didn't notice or I did now? I don't know. Maybe so. Maybe not. I'm a black man born in the deep South in the sixties where my mother had to go through separate and unequal, had to figure out what water fountain to drink from, where you couldn't go into a restaurant, you couldn't go into a hotel. My eighth grade, there was a riot, a race riot, at the high school my brother was at that I was going to attend the next year. Four years later, I'm the president of the student government of that high school. See, when people talk about American progress, and they pretend like it stopped in 1963. It is a lie from the pit of hell. Here's what we all have to understand about who we are as Americans. We are the nation that continues in the direction of the more perfect union. I will say that not only did I become the high school student government president, fast forward to 2010. We're still in the city where the Civil War started. I'm running for Congress. I get in the race after the most popular governor's son in 50 years is in the race, Carol Campbell, 
the third namesake. I get in the race after Strom Thurmond's son gets in the race. I'm still black, by the way. (laughs) Here we are. Here we are. Yeah. Running for Congress with 90% of the voters being white. Yeah. Ask me if I believe we judge people in South Carolina and around the country by the content of their character and not the color of their skin. I am glad you're in the race. Thank you so much. That's your, that's your man. Don't, why'd you go home? Hmm. Tim Scott from South Carolina. Come on now. I just think it's funny because we're talking about black Republicans. I know. And it's like, yeah, it's, it's difficult. It's difficult, you know. But it, how far different is what he said from what Obama said? It, and that's why I said it's difficult because it's it's not as far off. It's just it's not. Like, it's just the gaslighting part of it. Like, Oh, but we're in South Carolina. Dylan Roof just <laughs> killed some people. Like they just breezed by that. Like, yeah, there wasn't just a massacre in your in your home city. Yeah, you know, and and some acknowledgement of that would have at least told me like, okay, he's trying to, mm. you know, because he could have at least said even with all that, yeah. And although Dylan Roof did, bye bye bye, we still we came together. Yeah, yeah. none of that. Is this like, yeah, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. Let's just look back, you know. But like you said, he doesn't so, uh, sound too far off from Barack Obama. No, he, do- he doesn't. Um, what I what I found interesting, uh, we didn't play this part, but as he's talking, he uses a lot of. It almost sounds like a sermon, like in his speeches. It's very much scripture dropping. A lot of faith and you know biblical references, um, and then also I think for this crowd, right, the Tucker Carlson, Glenn Beck crowd are probably not going to vote for a Tim Scott, not because he's black, but because they think he is too much of a, tra- a traditional Republican, right? So his answers on Ukraine, for example, they felt like, oh, this is like you know the national line that Republicans are towing and it's not what the far right wants. And so I think ultimately for folks like Tucker Carlson, Tim Scott's going to be too much of a traditional Republican. But I just want to call out Tim Scott because he said 90% white people. Uh, yeah, I noticed that like, too. It's 66%. Yeah. Like, it's South Carolina, bro. If anything, it has black people. Yeah. I don't bro. know if he was saying that district was but even the district even the district not not there like not from where we're from that yeah no interesting south carolina (laughs) is the first state i ever canvassed in oh for real denmark south carolina wow yes that's how i felt when i walked in i was like oh this is different (laughs) it's different from atlanta yeah i mean you know i'm from charleston yeah so it's just the whole culture there is just it's it's the same. It, I don't think much has changed as far right. as that's, yeah. ruling class. I think that's how it felt. Charleston is really a microcosm to like how they treat black people across the country. Right. You know. Indeed. Um, moving on, Tucker Carlson also interviewed Vivek Ramaswamy. Oh, interesting. He gets that 
he gets that sound from you, huh? Um, <laughs> so they talk about Ukraine and sending U.S. soldiers to Europe. Take a listen to this. Deliver our country to a better place. But on this issue, nearly our entire field is indistinguishable in practice from where Biden is on this, which is in an undefined, ill-defined way, pouring more money into a war that I think is destined to become Vietnam or Iraq all over again. And if you don't learn from the lessons of the past, you're gonna be making the same mistakes on an even larger scale going forward. We have to end this war. We can end this war and start prioritizing the interests of actual US citizens here at home. So I, I think, um, ju judging by the response you just got, I think a chunk of, I don't know what percentage, but a lot of primary, Republican primary voters agree with you. Not all, but a lot. I don't think any Republican donors agree with you. I think that's accurate. And I've lost, to be really honest with you, I've lost many large donors or prospective donors over this issue. And it puzzles me. Because I think the tempting thing to say is... That, that's my point about Tim Scott versus of Vivek Ramaswamy. By the way, Vivek said that 40% of his donors have never donated to a Republican candidate before. That is massive, if true. It's a lot of new people. Yeah, whole new demographic. Right, yeah. And he's out raising uh, Mike Pence and a lot of other people. But it's just, you know, Think about the former vice president of the United States being outraised by a 37-year-old. That's pretty remarkable. I had a question, maybe, and you might not know the answer, but is is what the Republicans doing right now? Because these aren't, you know, debates or anything. This is just, uh, I saw sinuses like, choose well 2024. So they, they want to... Although Trump has been a front runner, it's, it seems like they're still allowing the field to kind of, you know, compete, get their words out, yeah. and also use it as a marketing tool, right? Like, even if Vivek doesn't beat the debates, like you said, all those new donors, they're now looking at the Republican Party if not joined it. Exactly. Fully. And it just makes me wonder why aren't why are Democrats, yeah. yeah well, at, at least doing this to, like, Sharpen the field. Okay, we know Biden might just be the forerunner, but like, let's, you know, call some newcomers up and kind of, you know, Vivek, this probably won't be his last time, you know, we that we see him, but we now know, you know, what he's about. And, you know, he, he's kind of getting sharper in his answers because of what he's going through. Where is that on the other side? Because before we know it, it's going to be 2028. This is the perpetual issue with the Democratic Party is that they don't, put together a real bench. Um, um, the president is not going to be debating anyone, right? So he will not be participating in any primary debates. So the first time he'll go on the debate stage is against whoever the Republican nominee is. Meanwhile, the Republican nominee will have gone through a very robust process. Because even with Trump, like even him not coming to these things, okay, you don't have to come, but your competition is getting stronger and better now and like you said if trump does beat that person then that shows that trump is strong but if the other person beats trump it's like biden right. was the last time you've been in the gym you know and who do we have right on the other side because you're gonna want us in four more years in five years from now you're gonna want us to 
choose somebody else that we haven't even seen till what I'm gonna see him in two years, like around 2025. Mm-hmm. I'll start hearing something like, right? Nah, y'all should be doing this right now. Even if Biden doesn't want to come, like Trump didn't come to this, so right. Biden doesn't have to come. I agree. This is very weird. Very I agree. Weird. Yeah, I mean, and that's why if you look at, I think we talked about this a few episodes before, but the polling on the number of people who don't want a Biden Trump matchup. Right. And it's not just Republicans, it's Democrats, too, who want someone else. But the Democratic Party has effectively shut down any conversation of someone else. It's a problem. That's what I'm saying. Like, even in this, it's like, even if they don't want to pick any of these candidates, they still want Trump. You're still allowing it to breathe on the other side. Yeah. Yeah, and the Choose Well, that Choose Well 2024, whatever that's called, that's a group including the Heritage Foundation that are all pushing like family values as the forefront of what the Republican candidates are talking about. So that PAC funded this event. Well, it's not a PAC. It's some. It's some. It's basically like a bunch of different organizations, including the Heritage Foundation, got together and said. We're going to push these particular talking points or issues throughout the 2024 election. Mm, okay. So then uh, even if the Democrats do have some people on the other side, it's the base now is our job to say, well, we'll fund this event for you guys to come right. and talk. But we're going to ask specifically about exactly. economic empowerment, reparations, and right. housing discrimination. So mm-hmm. when you get here, have your stuff ready. Exactly. Okay, I see why the Democrats don't do it. <laughs> uh, next up is Tucker Carlson and Nikki Haley. Uh, this clip is Nikki Haley talking about homelessness and how pervasive it is across the country. Take a listen. And America has refused to deal with the cancer that is mental health. One in four people have a mental health issue, but if treated, they can live a perfectly normal life. The problem is, and you look at our veterans, one in three suffer from PTSD or thoughts of suicide. But if you, if right now, if you look at it, if somebody knows they have an issue, which a lot of our teenagers do and young adults do, they can't find a therapist because we don't have enough. There aren't enough treatment centers. If someone with a mental health issue doesn't get help, they get into an addiction. There aren't enough addiction centers. And oh, by the way, if you happen to be one of those blessed ones that gets it, insurance doesn't cover it. We have got to do this. We're losing Americans every day just because of that. And the homelessness is a lot of that. I saw that, you know, you'll see in South Carolina, they'll take people that have mental health issues and they'll put them in jail for 48 hours or they'll send them to the hospital for 48 hours. That's not doing anything to treat these people and the the challenges that they have. Well, so what would you do if you don't send them to a therapist? (laughs) There aren't enough therapists. Um, What was interesting to watch about Nikki Haley and how Tucker and um, Glenn Beck reacted to her is, like, she's sharp, right? Like, she knows her stuff. She understands how government works. She was a governor. She understands how the White House works. She was in the cabinet. But they don't, she's another one that they don't like. 
are like, oh, she's a neocon. She's too much of, you know, the establishment, Washington establishment Republican approach. She's not real enough for me. I, uh, yeah, I, like, I know. I we like talked she, about this. Yeah. yeah. She had a height where she probably, she should have did it that year that they took down the uh, Confederate mm-hmm. flag. She had something to stand on then. She should have did it then. Yeah. Right now, going backwards. Yeah. Come on, Namrata. I know. <laughs> um, next, this is the last one that we'll talk about is Tucker Carlson and Mike Pence. This was uh, a little awkward, maybe is the word for it. Take a listen. Well, thank you. I, we can certainly do better, that's for sure. Um, so I have to ask you, since you were a witness to and in some yeah. unintentionally a participant in one of the most widely covered events in American history, January 6th, what was that? Do you think that was an insurrection? Now, as to that day, let me just say, uh, all I know for sure, having lived through it at the Capitol, is that it was a tragic day. Uh, I've never used the word insurrection, Tucker, over the last two years, but it was a riot that took place at the Capitol that day. Uh, I saw firsthand in the, where they'd evacuated us down to the loading dock Below the Senate chamber, police officers that, as the day wore on, were streaming through 150 law enforcement officers that were assaulted. Obviously, the tragic loss of life ransacking the Capitol that occurred. But I really do believe that a day of tragedy became a triumph of freedom. And I'll always believe that by God's grace, I did my duty that day under the Constitution of the United States of America and our institutions held. When you say the tragic loss of life, who are you referring to? Well, obviously, uh, Ashley Babbitt would come to mind immediately. Do you, what do you when think, I of think the fact of the, that she was shot? Well, I, I just think it was a tragic moment, without question. But I, would, I have to tell you that seeing people assaulting law enforcement officers, smashing windows, breaking into the Capitol building, it infuriated me. And it's very likely that... Um, the restraint that was shown by law enforcement officers saved lives that day. But I think it's, it's, it's important that we hold those accountable who deserve to be. Oof, man. <coughs> Mike Pence. That was, the, you, sh- you should watch the whole Mike Pence exchange with Tucker Carlson. It was a bit brutal. Um, Tucker really pushed him on January 6th. And after what he was speaking, he was addressing the crowd. Tucker says something to the effect of, you know, how he didn't want to, it's not fun to beat up on a five-year-old. And he was alluding to Mike Pence. So, I mean, clearly, I, I don't think Mike Pence did himself any favors by participating in that. Um, just, just remarkable. A couple of big takeaways. We didn't include these clips, but throughout the conversations that Tucker Carlson had with the candidates, he was pushing for paper ballots. He does not want electronic ballots. Uh, he was also pushing to eliminate vote by mail. Uh, we did not include his interview with Ron DeSantis, but he was pretty friendly in his interview with Ron DeSantis. I'd say he was most friendly to DeSantis and Ramaswamy 
And then maybe Tim Scott was kind of a distant third in that mix. Uh, he also interviewed Asa Hutchins, uh, but that was kind of similar to the to the Mike Pence interview. It was just, you know, Tucker's not going to be favorable to anyone who's seen as a um, moderate Republican. So that was that. Yeah. All right. On to party pooper and party starter. Every party needs a pooper. That's why we invited you. Party pooper. <laughs> party pooper. The party poopers related to Georgia. This is pretty wild. ProPublica, we put this in the show notes, is an investigative news outlet. They published a piece about a group of individuals who are responsible for challenging 100,000 Georgia voters. So five of the six most prolific challengers identified by ProPublica have assisted or been assisted by right-wing organizations. Some of those folks were involved in efforts to challenge the results of the 2020 presidential election. And one of the people mentioned in the article is this guy named Jason Frazier. I think we talked about a few episodes before. Uh, he was nominated by the Fulton Republican Party to serve on the Fulton County Board of Elections, but his nomination failed. It did not get uh, the amount of votes needed. So the piece talks about how there are discrepancies and how counties address voter challenges, right? So if your voter registration is challenged in Fulton County and if someone else's is, is challenged in Houston County, Houston might take a different approach than Fulton, which means that there's not equity. There's not a clear set of standards across the state, which is not fair. And so they asked the Secretary of State's office about the inconsistencies and here's what the spokesperson said, and I quote, we're going to try to get the state elections board to issue guidance of some kind to answer all these questions you have. And he says that the county elections board members who receive a small stipend for their part-time work are having to make these decisions affecting people's franchise. And the secretary of state's office is going to encourage the state board to, quote, give them some rules to go by. So it's remarkable, you know, this is a really interesting piece of uh, investigative journalism, the fact that five of the six most prolific challengers have been, have been assisted by right-wingers, and these are overwhelmingly, it's Democrats who are being challenged, whose voter status is being challenged, not Republicans. Um, and in Georgia, you don't register by party, but you can see how someone trends to vote and then determine from there if they are more than likely a Democrat or a Republican or an independent. Uh, so that's something to keep your eye on. I imagine that will come up in the 2023 legislative session. Uh, and then to a party starter. Everybody, let's go. Depending on who you are, you might call this a party pooper, but. Uh, a number of folks are getting their student loans forgiven. So the Department of Education is canceling $39 billion in student loan debt. That's 804,000 borrowers. These are people who have had the debt for 20 plus years. So obviously the Supreme Court ruled against the Biden administration, and this is their way of starting to have a workaround. 
So far, the Biden White House has forgiven $78 billion in student loan debt. More than 600,000 of these individuals who've had their loans forgiven are folks who qualify for the public service loan forgiveness. So that means people who have worked in you know, local or state government, have worked for a quasi-governmental agency, think of like MARTA locally, like something like that. So instead of going to go do the cushy private sector job, you've worked in the public sector, sector to serve the people. Um, nearly 500,000 borrowers are people who have a permanent disability uh, who've had their loans forgiven. And 1.3 million are borrowers who were taken advantage of by their schools. So schools where, you know, maybe they did not, they were not accredited or they lost their accreditation or something along those lines. But I think while this is, yes, a pretty starter, I think the question remains, and this is something Republicans have really pushed, is what is the White House, and this should not just be on the White House, this should be on Washington and Congress as a whole, um, and on state legislators, but what are they doing to address the cost of college on the front end so folks are not having to borrow hundreds of thousands of dollars to eke out a living? Not cool. All right, that's the show. Next week, we will be talking about this on Saturday, I believe, Friday or Saturday of this coming week, this week. The Teamsters president will be in Atlanta for a rally for UPS workers. That is going to be massive. We talked about the UPS strike last week. If this happens, this will be the biggest strike since, I think, the 1950s. This is massive. I don't know what I'm going to do about my Amazon orders, but uh, <laughs> I'm not mad at I'm not mad at folks for striking. I'm glad I never became a heavy online shopper. I'm a that's good. I am such a millennial in that regard. <laughs> I order online all the time. I feel bad about it, Mm-mm. but uh, it is very convenient. It is. It yeah. Is. All right, y'all, that is today's pod. Don't come for me. Don't try to cancel me because I use Amazon, okay? Um, (laughs) Until next time, thank you, as always, for tuning in to Where the Party At.